Hey, it's Jackie. And in today's episode of Jackie Always Unplugged, I want to share some thoughts about aging. Now, the reason this is on my mind is because uh, on March 6th, I officially entered post-menopause. Now, for some of you, you don't know what that means. It means I've gone 12 months without a period. It means hot flashes and mood swings have subsided, and it means Steve is doing a hallelujah. But I'm, well, you'll have to keep listening, and I'll tell you. Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of The Marcella Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions, dealing with real issues, and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. Welcome back. Now, I don't want you to fret. I'm not going to talk about periods the whole time, so just hang with me. But like I said, I'm postmenopausal. And I proclaimed it over dinner to my family. I should have been able to do that last March, but just before the week I could officially say it, I got my period. Literally a week before I crossed the finish line, had to start all over again. You know, I don't think I was prepared for what this moment signified in my life. Steve and I were on a hike this past week, and I don't know what we were talking about, whether it was family or sex, but it hit me. And I stopped us in our tracks and I said, you can have kids, and I can't. Not that I wanted kids, I'm 56, but it hit me. For the first time in my life, since I was 10 years old, I can't have kids. And it also occurred to me that I could benefit from listening to the wisdom my body was trying to whisper to me. See, I believe the body speaks a word about me and about others and about God. Through our bodies, we share in God's meta-narrative. His gospel story is about birth and growth and rebirth, about wholeness and brokenness. That's what sin is. It's brokenness. It's decay. It's destruction. It's death. It's about restoration and redemption and eternity. So you may not be going through menopause, but your body also whispers wisdom to you. So let me ask you, what's your body saying? When I was younger, I didn't pay attention to what my body was telling me. At one point, it was screaming at me. And that was because I was running hard and fast. There was so much stress. Like we learned that Steve had a brain tumor. My son kept getting kicked out of school. My dad went nuts and threatened to kill my sister. I was working on a doctorate and doing a full-time ministry job. A lot of stress. Some of you are in that season of life where you're just running like crazy. Been there. It does slow down. Twice during that time of my life, Twice, I was rushed to the ER because my blood pressure got so high, I almost stroked. It is true, the body keeps the score. It's a book, by the way. It's worth your read. The body keeps the score. Now, when I work with women who minister, one of the first questions I ask them is, how's your body doing? And inevitably, they start to tell me how their body is in pain. Yeah, because your body's trying to tell you something. Often, something we don't want to hear. So, let me ask you again. What's your body telling you? 
So my body is changing. It no longer produces eggs, and it turns out it produces a lot less collagen. And I got to be honest, up until a few years ago, I had never even heard of the word collagen. Turns out it's a protein that's important for our body. It's responsible for skin and joint and bone health. In other words, it what, it's what keeps us from wrinkling. Problem is, women lose collagen as they age, so do men, but not at the same speed. Women's collagen is cut in half by the time we hit our 50s. Alas, wrinkles. Speaking of wrinkles, one morning I woke up and there were these bags underneath my eyes and Steve was like, whoa. It wasn't a good whoa. It was like a shocking whoa. Now I got to tell you, Steve always tells me I'm beautiful, that I'm sexy. He compliments me on my clothes and my smarts and all of it. He rarely says to me, whoa. So when he does, I pay attention. I looked in the mirror. Wow, got to be honest, it was something to behold. Now I know why all my friends are talking about quote unquote getting work done. Up until now, I'd resisted, but I get it. It's hard to age in a society that values and quite frankly, rewards the young, thin, and sexy. But again, I believe my body speaks a word about God. So if I'm going to alter it, and I have, and I may in the future, I at least need to ask myself and Jesus some questions. So for now, I just ordered some lotion to put underneath the eyes. My physical body represents something bigger that's happening at this season of my life. See, for, for the first time in 34 years, Steve and I are having discussions about quote-unquote retirement years. We're in our second half of life. Some of you golfers might say it's the back nine. Steve is literally nine years from taking Social Security. Nine years. And we're looking at each other like, how did we get here? How did this happen? There are these moments in life, whether they're induced by the physical loss of a loved one or a pandemic. There are these times, these events, these seasons where we pause. We step out of the rat race and we reflect and potentially align. This past year, I went in for a normal checkup, and long story short, I ended up being sent to an oncologist for what they thought might be some kind of bone marrow cancer. Turns out my bone marrow wasn't producing the right-sized red blood cells, and I googled it. Got to tell you, not good news. Life expectancy for that type of cancer, one to three years. It was an interesting week of waiting. And during it, Steve asked me, okay, let's say you have a year. What do you want to do? Shockingly, it wasn't that hard to answer. Spend more time with those I love, my kids, my extended family, my friends. I also wanted to give energy and time to making new friends. It wasn't like I wanted to stop meeting people. Travel wasn't on my list. Um, that's because I actually believe in the new heavens, new earth. We're going to continue to explore this earth. So I, I may not get to every single place on earth in this lifetime, but definitely in the next. Now, don't email me and ask me for biblical proof. I've got none, although I've got some theories. I could argue some. But I'm just sticking with the fact that we're going to continue to explore and travel in eternity. I told Steve that I would continue to work with women. I would just no longer do the fundraising part. I hate fundraising. And there'd be no need for it because I'd be dead. Now, I know that sounds all matter of fact, but the truth is during this waiting period, I was at peace. And... I got to be honest, it was encouraging to know that what I do, I just keep doing it, just more of it. By the way, I should probably tell you, it turned out I'm an outlier in how my body makes red blood cells. Shocking, right? I'm an outlier. 
In the book of Ecclesiastes, and yes, I read the book of Ecclesiastes actually often, and that's telling something about me, but anyway. (laughs) In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, it's better to spend our time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies, so the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool only thinks about having a good time. I know it sounds a little bit like a Debbie Downer, doesn't it? But his point is, with death or drawing closer to death brings clarity about your precious once-in-a-lifetime life, how you want to spend it, with whom, doing what. It's clarifying. Now, I know you probably don't want to read Ecclesiastes, and that sounds like a real downer statement, so maybe some of you prefer to hold on to what Socrates said. The unexamined life is not worth living. So you may not be like me in postmenopausal, um, and in fact, if you're a guy listening, pretty sure you're not, but you still, we still, all of us need time, these spurts in life where we step away and do a little self-reflection. So can you do that? Take a morning, an evening, a lunch break, and just sit with Jesus in quiet. Listen for his voice. Maybe ask him some questions about how things are going in your life, things that you don't see. By the way, he doesn't always talk to us about our sin. It's not like he goes, oh, you sinner, you. Yeah, just take some time. Reflect. Ask Jesus what's going on with you. Listen to your body. Second half of lifers tend to do a lot more self-examination and realigning. And some of you may be asking, why does she keep saying second half of life? What on earth is that? So glad you asked. Richard Rohr, in his book, Falling Upward, talks about this concept of first half and second half of life. If you've read anything of Rohr, then you know he's hard to summarize. I find him a little hard to read. Like, after a while, I'm like, I cannot keep skirting the skies with you laying somewhere. But anyway... So what I did was I looked for somebody who summarized his writing, and um, this guy, Andre Oger, is the guy that does it well. And he explains, the first half of life is about building a stronger container or identity. The second half of life is finding the content that the container was meant to hold. He goes on to say it like this, and I'm quoting, we are first half of life culture, largely concerned about striving successfully. We all try to do what seems like the task that life first hands us, which is establishing an identity, a home, relationships, friends, community, security, and a building of a proper platform for our only life. The task of the first half of life is to create a proper container for one's life and answer the first essential questions, which are, what makes me significant? How can I support myself? And who will go with me? Our institutions and our expectations, including our churches, and this will ring some bells for some of you, are almost entirely configured to encourage, support, reward, and validate the tasks of the first half of life. Alas, why some of you second half of lifers no longer find that your church fits. The first half of life journey is always about externals, formulas, superficial emotions, flags, badges, correct rituals, Bible quotes, and special clothing all of which are largely substitutes for actual spirituality. The first half of life culture values law, tradition, custom, authority, boundaries, and morality of some clear sort. These containers, and listen to this clearly, these containers give us the necessary security, continuity, and predictability, impulse control, and ego structure that we need. In other words, first half of life is not bad, it's good. 
We need it before the chaos of real life shows up. Again, end of quote, I should tell you. Again, and for second half of lifers, I know many of you have shared with me that you're struggling to fit into your church and you don't know why and you feel guilty. And it might just be you're attending a first half of life church and you're in the second half of life. And Jesus reminds us, those with old wineskins cannot hold the new wineskins. And I think most of our churches are perhaps first half of lifers. And so if that's true, um, we're struggling. And some of you have found places where it speaks to the second half of life. And if that's you, I would love for you to jump on Facebook to Jackie Always Unplugged group Facebook page and give us those names. We'd love to share them with, the, with others who are looking. Okay, that's second half of life. What's first half of life? And, and again, as I read this, I want to ask you, what resonates with you if you're in your first half of life? What resonates with you if you're in your second half of life? Think about what drivers you have in your first half that you no longer have in your second. Now listen to how this is described. A transition to second half of life culture requires some sort of falling. Unless you build your first house well, you will never leave it. To build your house well is ironically to be nudged beyond its borders. We discover that we have spent our whole life climbing the ladder of success only to find that when we get to the top of our ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. What we need to do at the transition point is to move from a survival dance to a sacred dance. That sounds very inviting to me. Those supposed achievements of the first half of life have to fall apart and show themselves to be wanting in some way, or they will not move further. We need to learn the language, concepts, and assumptions of the first half of life, and those of the second half of life are different worlds. A a key task of the transition period is called discharging your loyal soldier. Now, here's the metaphor. Pay attention. This metaphor comes from a ritual used by the Japanese when a soldier is decommissioned. He is invited to close one phase of his life by thanking the skills and mindset he needed as a soldier and discharging it. This is a rite of passage that is much needed as we move from first half to second half of life. In biblical language, it is the Pharisee and the older son who are often our loyal soldiers. The loyal soldier has helped us get through the first half of life, but it will hinder us in the second half because that inner voice has often been so strong It can be misinterpreted as the voice of God, which it is not. It is only when we have discharged this voice of its responsibility that we begin to hear the authentic voice of God. There is a deeper voice of God, which we must learn to hear and obey in the second half of life. It will sound an awful lot like the voices of risk, of trust, of surrender, of soul, of destiny, of love, of an intimate stranger, of one's deepest self. Charging the loyal soldier will be necessary in order to find the authentic inner authority or what Jeremiah promised as the written law in your heart. When you first discharge your loyal soldier, it will feel like a loss of faith, a loss of self, but it is only the death of a false self and is often the very birth of the soul. Sooner or later, some event, person, death, idea, or relationship will enter your life that you simply cannot deal with using your present skill set your acquired knowledge, or your strong willpower, spiritually speaking, you will be, you must be, led to the edge of your own private resources. The genius of the biblical revelation is that it refuses to deny deny the dark side of things, 
but forgives failures and integrates falling into a, to achieve its only promised wholeness. Falling upward is about finding a higher order inside constant disorder. That's how he describes it. That's where I'm at. And I know that's where a lot of you are at. And in my second half of life, I have different drivers. I care so much less about titles and positions and platforms and popularity. I have less and less desire to climb mountains, metaphorically speaking. I love hiking. I'm talking about that racing, achieving, striving, acquiring, panic, parenting in a panic. This, this might resonate with some of you. Parenting in a panic that you're going to screw your kids up. All of that, just not enticing anymore. And at times I wonder, am I getting lazy? And that question, even asking that question, right, is telling me something about a narrative I've embraced about myself, about work, and my worth. See, I'm coming to terms with the fact that I've birthed the intellectual body of work that I was meant to bring into this world. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm going to continue to enlarge it and finesse it, but the essence has been birthed. And I've watched women, younger women in their 30s and 40s, take my work to new heights, new ideas, new freedoms for women and men, and it's awesome. I have watched these women do work not only on gender, but race, class, power, nationalism. These women who minister are taking us to new places, and I am cheering them on as they do. In fact, one of the things I want to do more of in my second half of life is mentor those women. And if that's you, then go over to my website, which by the way, I've updated. So all of you might want to go over and check it out, themarcellaproject.com, because I'm offering some mentoring for women who minister. When I tell you that I've birthed my, when I tell people that I've birthed my intellectual body of work, often they try to convince me that no, 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 you've got more to do. And I'm like, yeah, I know that, but I'm a realist. Steve, Steve thinks that, uh, that I'm a pessimist, but actually he's just an extreme optimist. So it appears like I'm a downer to him. But truth is I'm a realist. I reckon with what is, and then I have hope that what is coming is more beautiful than what already is. That's what hope is. Turns out there's some research that suggests that we tend to peak in our work between our late 30s and early 50s. Arthur Brooks, in his book Strength to Strength, states, our professional, physical, and mental decline is inevitable. You probably just think it's a long, long way off. You're not alone in this thinking. For most people, the implicit belief is that aging and its effect on professional performance are something that happens in the far future. Here's the reality, he says. In practically every high-skilled profession, decline sets in sometime between one's late 30s and early 50s. I know that stings, he says, but it gets worse. The more accomplished one is at the peak of one's career, the more pronounced decline seems once it has set in. So all of this, all of these thoughts I'm sharing with Steve and the kids this weekend over dinner. Madison says, Mom, this is really important. We need to do some kind of rite of passage, right? A ceremony that marks this transition from one stage of life to another. Brilliant. My daughter is brilliant and wise. We have rites of passages in our faith tradition, don't we? Baptism, bar mitzvahs confirmations. We have them in our culture, school graduations, wedding, retirement parties, these, these times in which we mark the transition from one stage to another. On March 2nd, we began Lenten season, Ash Wednesday, when the priest puts that ash on our forehead and says, remember you are dust and to dust you shall return. It's the beginning of our journey with Jesus into the desert for 40 days, 46 this year. 
until Easter. But before we get to the resurrection, we have to go toward death, don't we? There has to be dark before light. And this past Ash Wednesday on March 2nd, I sat in the pews with anticipation. I love the Lenten season. And the pastor started talking about desert and death. And that's when I heard the spirit whisper, Jackie, come to the desert and let things die. It wasn't a let your sins die, although I think the spirit is all for that. It was more like this invitation to let what was die so that I could make room for what's coming. Kind of like what Jesus said in John 12, 24. You know, you got to let the seed die before it bears fruit. I was invited to let my first half of life container in its present form die so that I could be, it could be replaced with something better. So I'm going to God and letting him examine and bring light to what's, what I'm clinging to that's from my first half of life identity. And I've also decided this summer when I go to New York, I'm going to get a geranium seed and put it in the ground. Now, some of you listening, you get the symbolism because you know I grew up working in greenhouses. My parents were horticulturists and they specialized in growing geraniums. So in many ways, geraniums is, is what represents my upbringing, all that was put in me that shaped my first half of life. And I'm going to go back to that property that I worked on with my seed and I'm going to bury it. And then I'm going to say a blessing over it. And then I'm going to walk myself into this new season with confidence, beauty, and expectation of something new. Got to be honest, I'm excited, a little scared, but here I go. Thanks for listening. Have a fabulous day. And please know, I'm so grateful for you. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.